Welcome, this is your host, Jeremiah Latimo, and this is Gates of Perception. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. So today I'm going to be talking about polyamorous relationships. I've received this question a lot in my comments and in my DMs about what is my take, what is my opinion, and I thought I should make an episode around it. If you are tuning into this and you wanted to hear a right or wrong, uh, a bad or good, you've tuned into the wrong, wrong episode and wrong take on polyamorous relationships because this is not what I'm going to be discussing. But I am going to share my own personal preference and why it is not my preference to be in polyamorous relationships. But also in this episode, I'm going to really deep dive into what I've learned from people in polyamorous relationships, my cycle, spiritual perspective of it, and the social stigmas around being in polyamorous relationships, and some of the ancient and indigenous origins, and also biological benefits of polyamorous relationships. So yeah, you definitely didn't see that coming. I'm going to be sharing um, some benefits as well. So this is just, again, me taking in different forms of information from multiple different sources. And that's really broadened my horizon on not just polyamorous relationships, but human connection in general, and our relationship to a larger and greater system. So I want to do a disclaimer. Again, I am not in a polyamorous relationship. I think a lot of people are used to people that aren't doing the very thing that they're talking about, sharing their take on something. Like we have presidents that have never been through any like real struggle that 95% of Americans are going through. And they are talking about poverty and things like that. Like that's just one example. And so we have even films that are representing um, gay men or gay women or uh, trans individuals. And the people directing and creating these films aren't actually directly connected to the stories themselves. And so... I share that to say a disclaimer, I myself am not somebody that has ever been or ever will be in a polyamorous relationship. So much of what I'm going to share here is from an outside observer perspective, meaning that there will be things that you will hear that may resonate, that may click something, that may bring an aha moment. And also take into account that much of this is going to be oversimplified because I cannot take into account all of the complexities because I'm not directly living that experience myself. So there's going to be some things here that from somebody listening that actually is in that experience or has been is going to take this as like, whoa, he really missed something or whoa, that was really distorted. And again, it's because I'm an outside observer. I do not know the experience firsthand. So this is all secondhand knowledge. Some of it from my own personal experiences, but 
95% is secondhand knowledge. So I just wanted to share that before we dive into this. So if there's anything I did leave out and anything that I could have expanded on, feel free to DM me and share with me. Um, I would appreciate that. I am looking always to expand my understanding around relationships, around intimacy, and just human connection in general. So I would appreciate that if you are somebody that has been or is, uh, if you have any perspectives, any shares or any takeaways from what I share in this episode, don't hesitate to uh, DM me, send me a message. All right. So let's dive in. So let's begin with what is a polyamorous relationship? So from my understanding, it's a relationship that is non-monogamous. So it's where individuals have multiple romantic and emotional relationships all simultaneously. So a part of this is also with the full knowledge and consent of everybody involved, the husband, the wife, uh, the girlfriend, the boyfriend, they all consent and choose to be involved in this, especially with the people that are, let's say, uh, what is referred to as secondary partners, right? So let's say I was in a relationship and me and my partner decided to open up our relationship. She would be, and I would be to her, her primary partner. And then we would have a secondary partner or uh, another partner, but everyone involved, all parties involved are aware of all parties involved. So that's just my understanding of it. And this is very different from what is referred to as swinging or swingers. So it's different because swinging is often entirely focused on sex. It's entirely built off of, you know, sexual activities and engaging in sexual activities with other people or other couples and often like in a social setting. So it's like, oh, we're gonna go to the club or we're gonna go to this gathering or we're gonna go here. It, that is really the difference. It's not the same emotional and romantic uh, foundation that people in polyamorous relationships build another connection with somebody outside of their primary relationship with. Most of these people don't really, that are swingers or identify as swingers, aren't really establishing emotional attachments to people outside of their partners. So I'm sure you've heard, but there are ancient and indigenous roots to non-monogamous relationships and that resemble the structure of polyamory and polyamorous relationships that I just shared. And the difference is these aren't really referred to as polyamorous relationships. This is, I feel, kind of more of like a modern Western label uh, because even in Native American tribes, this was like a practice and also a way of living, uh, sometimes called partable paternity. And it's really where a child could have multiple different fathers. And all of those fathers would contribute to the child's upbringing. So it's very, very different from the way that we live now, because in these 
different tribes and societies, when there was a child, everybody took that child and cared for that child as if it were their own. So nobody was running to see, oh, that's my child. You know, I'm the father of that child. Because of the way they lived for a lot, and, and I'm not saying this is the entire landscape of the dating or the relationship scene, but I'm saying that a lot of the way that the people of these tribes were relating was in a non-monogamous fashion or approach. So if I'm non-monogamous, when I have a child or a woman in the tribe has a child, nobody is running to that person saying, who's the dad? Who's the dad? Who's the father? That's really not the question. Everyone within that tribe takes that child as their own. And so in other African cultures, and maybe you've seen this in movies, I've personally heard it from uncles I have that talk about having multiple wives. So this is referred to as polygyny. So this is where one man has multiple wives. And the reason I say this has its ancient indigenous roots is because this often is a practice. It's a, it's a practice that is socially accepted, even still today in a lot of African countries. And it's because usually the men that are choosing to have multiple wives are very resourceful. They have certain social economic uh, powers and influence, which allows them to actually support multiple women at once. So this would be alike to a modern day Nick Cannon, like our modern day Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon has, I don't know what his net worth is, but because of his resources and his influence and status within society, he can actually support multiple women at once. He can actually take care of those children and provide for those children. And they can all essentially benefit from his resources and essentially the fruits of his labor. Now, I know what you might be thinking, isn't that a lack of commitment? Look at all these broken families and broken homes that, you know, this man is creating or men that kind of follow this practice are, are creating, right? They have six, seven baby, baby mothers, um, and these women aren't their wives, right? They're, they're baby mothers, and they often don't treat these women with the level of respect and care that they need. And so that is a very real reality. And this is why the way that it's manifested now, when you see men with multiple wives, multiple partners, or multiple baby mothers, the difference is, is that when in these ancient indigenous tribes, it wasn't for the individual's desires. It was actually for the greater good of the community. So this is why these practices and these ways of relating were socially accepted is because they benefited the entire community. Now, this is why it's also very different from what's happening today is because it doesn't really benefit the community. 
if a man is doing that, for example, then again, this is just my take, a Nikanon, that's not really benefiting the community because now these sons are probably not going to grow up with a very present father. And the way that our society is currently structured is that who is stepping in to be present in that boy's life or that daughter's life. Most of the time, that responsibility is then going to fall on the mother. So it's not really benefiting because even though she's resourced, let's say via child support, it's still on her to provide all of this emotional, uh, physical, and a, a kind of spiritual uh, attention and care and love that often is supposed to be divided between two people and an entire community. And so that's not really present within our modern day world, right? Like these women often talk about how it's difficult and many women who have partners that do you know, provide and take care of things financially, they still talk about how they don't feel supported, right? So this is really that difference. This is really that distinction that sets these practices apart from what's showing up now, right? I wouldn't call this as um, something that's a reflection of these indigenous roots and uh, ways of living because they're not, they're focused on the individual. They're about the person, you know, having multiple partners and kind of showing themselves off or, uh, romanticizing the idea of uh, being with multiple women rather than connecting to the communal aspects of it and the greater benefit for the something you know larger than that person's ego right so this is actually reversed though because from my perspective when i think about it from a biological perspective women are actually more inclined to be polyamorous than men so oftentimes you hear men say shit like oh my god i'm just wired this way and often they say that from a place of sexual desire and sexual ambition right that ambition to be with multiple women that ambition to uh, sleep with so many women it's not really rooted in how we're wired biologically so men saying this stuff is just ego. It's just a representation. And again, in my opinion, it's just a representation of a lack of commitment, which I'll get into a little bit more later because there's some nuances around that. But I want to just talk about that biological perspective that for me, women are actually more inclined to have multiple partners because due to their reproductive abilities, which don't last forever, right? Like a, at a certain point, a woman can't produce children anymore. So it's actually benefits the entire community for a woman to have multiple partners throughout her lifetime. Because it not only widens the genetic pool, but it increases the chances of survival. Because when a woman has multiple partners, what happens is she's more resourced, right? And that means there's going to be more protection for her and her children. So this is 
you know, not a perspective most men are going to accept. But if you think about it from a biological evolutionary standpoint, women would be naturally more inclined to be polyamorous than, than men because they're the ones that's reproducing, right? So the children have a broader, wider support system. They're more resourced. And also there's a diversity within genetic pool. That's really my take. I don't actually think men should be, and again, this is cis heterosexual men. I don't actually think men need to be proclaiming that we're more wired than women to be polyamorous. It just, when you look at it from a biological and evolutionary standpoint, that actually falls flat on its head. So kind of, I want to dig in a little bit more about the biological uh, aspects of this, because when we think about non-monogamous relationships, this is not unique to human beings, right? This isn't some kind of concept that humans created. It actually has its origins. Again, as I'm saying, it's biological on some level, right? Because we can also see this in the animal kingdom. So bonobos are one, bonobos are primates, uh, dolphins, everyone knows how complex uh, and intelligent dolphins are. Uh, but we also don't realize that they have a very complex social hierarchical system. And part of that is they engage in different sexual activities for reasons outside of reproduction. So they have same-sex interactions, they have multiple partners, and these are dolphins. Like People love dolphins. Uh, we talk about how I think they have two brains um, and they're super intelligent, but we don't talk about it in like their system, like their hierarchical system when it comes to uh, relationships, uh, sexual interactions. And the other one that isn't really, people don't know is that lions as well. Like if there's a dominant male, that dominant male often has multiple female partners. So when that dominant male though is overthrown by another leader, like let's say in um, you know in the Lion King or something, like Scar overthrows um, Mufasa, that Scar or that new leader is then going to mate also with multiple females. So again, this is what we would see then as a non-monogamous social structure. And so there are also red-winged blackbirds, there's a bunch of different uh, animals that do not adhere to a monogamous relationship. And there are some that do, right? The one I personally can think of right now are snow leopards. So snow leopards mate with one partner for life. So I really want to share this because again, this has broadened my own horizon around just my understanding of relationships because i can look at a polyamorous relationship today and share all of these projections of like this is where this is coming from and this is wounded and this this and that but then we look at the animal kingdom these things are present and it's like wait now what is your projection right is that line coming from a trauma response right is that 
dolphin, you know, coming from a fear of intimacy, right? Those projections, we really can't paste them. And we have to look at something a lot more deeper, something genetic, something evolutionary. So in from my perspective, there's biological implications like genetic diversity, you know, um, like I mentioned earlier with women, right? And also resource allocation. So some species are going to be able to take on the role of protecting multiple females and their offspring, which allows for more research for the entire group, for the entire species. If that's a lion, right? If that's a bonobo, if that's a dolphin, whatever it is. And those are benefits. Those are benefits of them being in a non-monogamous social structure, right? And the way that they're relating to one another. So I just wanted to share that because this is something that's been super, super illuminating for me in just what I've been learning and what I've been exploring and learning more about in my own personal life and in relationships. Um, And so with that, I want to get into more of like the personal piece because I've heard a lot of people um, being invited into a polyamorous relationship. And what I mean by that is that usually there is somebody that is in a monogamous relationship. And then there's one person that gets curious and wants to open up the relationship. And oftentimes I find that it is a man. The man is trying to introduce his wife to this different um, form of relating, right? And so what I notice about that and what I want to share is that this has many implications emotionally and can be very traumatic for people, um, especially from the stories I've read. Because if that is not what you're wired for, right, you're going to have a lot of emotional damage that's going to happen to your nervous system, to your psychological state, to even the amplifications of insecurities, fears, all of these things. Because what I noticed about people that are actually wired, like that's why I share the biological piece first. There are people that are actually wired for polyamorous relationships. And you know that because they experience what is called compersion. So compersion is the feeling of happiness and joy when you witness your partner being happy, being pleased by somebody else other than you. So it is a euphoric, blissful state that is actually the opposite or the contrast to jealousy. So when you see somebody that you love, your partner, is interacting with somebody else, or they're having some kind of sexual tension and energy between them, and you feel that deep sinking in your gut that you might call jealousy, you might call insecurity, you might call fear of abandonment, uh, anticipation of betrayal, all of those things. From my understanding, that has 
informed me personally because I have that feeling that I'm not wired for that type of dynamic. And there are other people, literally I've spoken to people that say they feel something entirely different. They actually feel bliss. They feel happiness. They feel joy. And so it's so easy for us if you're somebody listening that is that is that is monogamous to run and project and say oh they're coming from a trauma response oh they're not grounded but it's not about that it's about understanding certain things that work for you aren't going to work for other people and how you react to a situation is not going to be how somebody else reacts to a situation so what i find is that these individuals experience let's say the same sense of bliss and joy as if I were to see my brother succeeding in life, right? I would, be, I would experience that joy as if it were my own. I would experience that success if it were my own. What I'm sharing is that people that are wired for polyamorous relationships experience that state of bliss. They experience a state of pleasure as if it were their own, their partners receiving from another person, interacting with another person in that way, whether it's sexually, whether it's emotionally, or whether it's romantic, they experience that as if it were their own. So this is really what I think separates people that are like, oh, this is my thing, I'm trying to explore, let's see where this goes. If you do not experience that, do not, don't even put yourself in that situation and just read stories about people that have explored polyamorous relationships and what it did to their mental and emotional well-being. When they were convinced of it by somebody else, rather than a natural yearning inside of their own hearts. The other piece that I am exploring around this in my own, I would say, thought experiment is how much of this desire to be with multiple partners, right? If I'm in a relationship, I'm like, ah, I love this person, but there's just something else that's not here. How much of that is shaped by our attention span and the hit of dopamine that we receive from trying something new? being in a new environment, uh, experiencing that high of a honeymoon phase of getting to know somebody, of connecting with somebody for the first time, how much of that is impacting this desire to want to open our relationship up or want to be in multiple relationships? Because let's be real, our attention span, it's very, very low given the use of the social apps within our modern day world. So this is why you might see Instagram reels that have all of this information flushing at you all at once, where there's a person talking and then there's a flash to another image and they flash to another image and they keep doing that. And as a person that's a content creator, the reason they do that is because the attention span of our audience isn't that long you have to maintain it and you can't maintain it by just standing there saying something 
You have to flash images. You have to flash text. You have to do rapid shots. You have to uh, make multiple sounds and multiple clicks within the video to maintain that person's attention. This is why you see certain videos that are really popular and really viral. You'll notice that that reel that you're watching, that TikTok that you're watching, there's multiple things happening within that TikTok. And it's not because, you know, this person enjoys editing this way or has all of the time to make a literally a 30 second video with all of these cuts and all of these edits. The reason that they're doing that is they're trying to retain your attention. That's why. Because how many times do you sit through just sitting and watching somebody talk? If there's no image that flashes, if there's no text there, if there's no flashy, you know, sound effects, you might scroll up. So this hasn't been the norm, right? I don't recall this being a thing, you know, when I was on social media 10 years ago, right? This is just where we're at now where we can even just watch a full one minute video without waiting for some cool effect to show up. And so this is what I mean is that there's something happening within just the way our brains are being wired through using these apps where we can't actually retain our attention uh, for as long as we could. We can't really concentrate the way we used to. We can't really focus on one thing as much as we used to be able to do. And it's because we're bombarded with so much information. We're being, you know, penetrated with multiple different sources of information all at once. I'm going from Twitter to Facebook to Instagram to uh, TikTok, and then I got Tumblr, and then, you know, wait, let me text my friend back, or, you know, let me go on another app, and then I got CoStar, like, just so, so much all at once, right? So if I'm bored on Instagram, I'm going to hop on Twitter. Twitter's down, it's acting slow. I'm going to hop on threads. Threads, this really isn't it for me right now. I'm going to hop on Pinterest. You see what I'm saying? Now imagine, like this is, this is psychological. This is happening, you know, just on a, like a neural level where my brain is constantly looking for streams and hits of dopamine. Now, translate that over into relationships because I can't ignore that that relationship with dopamine isn't going to affect how I show up in relationships. If I'm constantly looking for that high, that dopamine hit, how is my ability to navigate and to move through the dips and the lows of a long-term relationship, those periods of boredom, those periods of, whoa, I kind of know almost everything about you. <laughs> There's not a story you can share with me that I haven't heard before, right? Our ability to move through that, to navigate it, to even find peace and stillness in those spaces of a long-term relationship, which is what it comes with, we've actually, we're actually in it right now. We're losing our ability to do that, to retain our attention on that person. Because we're like, I need to be, I need to get it from multiple sources, right? 
I need this person to provide me that thing that you're missing, that one thing you're missing, I'm going to look out for another person for, right? Rather than looking to build and to cultivate that with the person that I'm with, I'm like, I need to jump to another relationship for it. So I think that this pull that people are having towards polyamorous relationship and open relationships, I think it's also centered centered in how overactive our dopamine receptors are right now, just because we're constantly using these social apps. So I don't think that people in ancient indigenous times really had these issues because there's a rhythm and a cycle to something as beautiful as being and living in nature. And that is like your state, right? This is not a park you visit. This is not a two-hour drive you visit. Like that's, it's your state. And so when that's happening, you are in touch and in sync with a certain rhythm and cycle. You are in touch with that cycle. Seasons, you're constantly experiencing it. You're noticing like, whoa, you know, mangoes are out of season. So I have to adjust to my preferences for it. The, the, the fruits and the vegetables that are going to grow within the fall and the winter. You are in sync with a greater rhythm. This is very different from our modern day world because if you live in America, mangoes are always in season. Like you can literally buy mangoes all year round because you can get it imported from somewhere else. You can buy the, the, the exotic fruit from these other webs, websites that source it from all these other different countries, right? You're always, all fruits are always in season. Unless you're a gardener or a farmer, you're not really in touch with this natural rhythm. And even when you're in the experience of a certain season, like winter or fall, we leave. We're like, wait, let me go to, you know, let me go to Italy. Like, it's cold out here in New York. Let me go to, you know, Mexico. I don't want to be here for the winter. You see, this disconnects us from a greater rhythm. And so with that, we can't navigate the natural rhythms of life itself. Like, this is our relationship to the earth. Now think about life. And then now think about in the context of a relationship that has natural rhythms, which is a high, a middle point, a low, boredom, excitement, honeymoon, conflict, repair. These are natural rhythms of a relationship. But when we're accustomed to having everything in our hands and we can constantly essentially customize life, because we can customize everything else on our fucking phones. We think that, okay, this period that I'm going through with this person, let me try to get myself out of it. Let me try to manipulate the situation, right? Let me try to modulate uh, the setting in this scene that I'm in right now by, you know, leaving or thinking or romanticizing about being with somebody else that might have that. Rather than being in the discomfort of what we're feeling now, we're then fantasizing about being with somebody else that might bring us that thing. 
And again, social media isn't helping because now you're looking at people online and you're like, oh, they're experiencing that. So let me go look for that, right? Let me go be everywhere else but where I'm at right now. So you see, this is what I think that is driving outside of those biological factors. Because again, if you're not, you're not wired for the compersion that I talked about earlier, that feeling. Again, if you're exploring and you want to be with multiple people, really, really get curious. Like really get curious about what I'm saying around this constant, constant need to be hit with some kind of dopamine or high or, you know, this new honeymoon phase, this very high experience of love and ecstasy and intensity. Like that is just your dopamine receptors telling you, yo, we need a fucking detox. Like we're constantly, constantly looking for the high and the peak of something. We're unable to navigate the low points anymore. We're unable to navigate the boredom state. That is not only your nervous, it's not only your dopamine receptors, you know, being completely fucked up, but your nervous system constantly looking for chaos or drama or change or movement. Can't find peace within the stillness of your life. That is really my take. And I wanted to share this last piece around what I've noticed as well is that people that are what I feel, because I was just sharing about people who aren't wired for polyamorous relationships. My take is that the people that are actually wired for this also are often, just in my opinion and for my observation, are within the LGBTQ community. And the reason I think this is so is because they're often already outside of the traditional heterosexual um, social context. So I think it is a lot easier and it's just in their, by nature, they're going to continuously challenge and question societal expectations, including monogamy, their existence, their identity, their state of being is a complete rejection of all things uh, traditional, of all things you know, expected or imposed upon uh, male or female. So I notice that the people that I have spoken to and have shared about their, their polyamorous relationships that they've been in, uh, and even the joy they find in being them, in them, there's often somebody that is either gay, bi, they're non-gender conforming in some way, right? And again, this is not everybody. What I'm saying is this, I've noticed there is a population of people. And I think that's also because of the fluidity, right? They're able to dance between different expressions of themselves. And I think that also makes it also more easier for them to be fluid within their understanding of relationships, understanding of gender and sexuality, and to operate from a way that's non-traditional, uh, non-monogamous, and um, isn't restricting their expression of love uh, or their expression of self-love in any way. And I think as a person that is monogamous and that is heterosexual, I personally feel like I have so much to learn from just uh, people that are 
polyamorous that really that that is what allows them to feel connected to themselves they find uh, these experiences these relationships to expand their ideas of love and it really nourishes them i feel personally i have a lot a lot to learn so so i want to close with this and it's that the advancement of a society is reflected and mirrored in its ability to hold diversity so it's not going to be embodied within our technology it's not going to be embodied in our structures or in our uh, thought leaders or philosophies it's going to be represented in our capacity to hold diversity and so for me personally, I see that also mirrored in my relationship with myself. Like my own growth is evident by my capacity to hold differences, to hold diversity, to welcome differences, and to learn from those differences. Those spaces that don't reinforce my own ideas and beliefs about the world. And so I say that to say that in our exploration of self or others, it's really, really important to take the time to really broaden our horizons around relationships. Even if we understand our own personal preferences, like I shared, polyamorous relationships are not my personal preference. And I can still see that there is a lot for me to learn. I can diversify my understanding of relationships because in these relationships, what I notice is that a lot of people get a better understanding of themselves as well. Like there's an expansion of your understanding around your needs, around your boundaries, around your interests, around what excites you. And so for me, just witnessing, just talking, just learning, I myself get a very, very more holistic view about myself and the world. You know, I think it's very, very interesting how in monogamous relationships, there isn't much discussed around sex. Like there's just kind of a script that people that are in monogamous relationships that are cis um, heterosexual people, there's just a script. Like we just follow a script, I swear. But in gay, bi, um, non-gender conforming like gender expansive people they go in depth based on what i've learned and heard they go in depth they talk so much and learn so much about the other person's preferences what they like what they enjoy what they don't like and there's all these conversations around consent as well that just from that alone I learned so much about my own experience. I'm like, wait, why isn't that happening, you know, with anybody that I'm interested in, you know, being sexual with? Why don't we have those deep, entailed conversations? And it's often because monogamous people already have been given a script. This is what you do. This is how you do it. And, you know, even in the movies, right, there's a script and we're all catering to that script. So I think just in that example alone, I think we have so much to learn and what we can integrate in our own personal relationships. 
So with that, I hope you take the time to not run with everything I said on this episode, but if this is something that you're actually curious about, to actually take the time to hear about this from somebody that actually is involved in these relationships. That is actually their preference. Like take the time to really follow that curiosity all the way through, you know, and just don't stop at hearing somebody that has never been in it, is never involved in it, you know, and um, yeah, I would say just be open, be curious. And if there are pages online where you can learn from, um, you know, explore that. Uh, don't don't stop here. I would say don't stop here. If this really excited you and you were curious about hearing my take, there's probably a more in-depth, more nuanced, more, I would say, integrated perspective you can find uh, online from somebody that has actually lived this experience. So yeah, thank you again for listening. Again, if I shared anything that you want to add to or share your perspectives on, feel free to just send me an Instagram DM and I'll see you on the next one. Wishing you a beautiful day and a beautiful evening. Peace.